I think discipline is just gonna, I strongly believe in it. I believe it's like a foundation of our faith. Uh, I think it's a foundation of health and peace, just to, you know, uh, when you're done with the game, do you go check the box score? Why? What goes to the point? Game's over, you know? So why, why are you comparing yourself to others? I think there's discipline in that. Um, we as coaches love to look at other scores, but what's the point? Like, at the end of the day, it matters how we do. And I think overall, those are some things that really matter. Um, and so when I really dive in deep in my faith walk and athletics and my career and just all my life experiences, I think there's a huge piece to understand with uh, really discipline is not pleasant in the moment. What's up, good people? Welcome to season three of the Dear Young Athlete podcast, where we talk to coaches and athletes about their journeys and what advice they would have for a younger version of themselves. I'm your host, Jacob Thompson. I am a speaker, author, recording artist, content creator, rare disease advocate, and an aspiring Paralympian. If you want to hear my story, check out Season 1, Episode 1. But enough about me. Let's meet our guest. Today, I am joined by a very, very special guest. This man, he is a husband. He is a former two-sport college athlete and was a killer in both, which is rare. He is a current collegiate head basketball coach. He won in high school Mr. Football. Gatorade and Metro Player of the Year in Minnesota. He's been a section coach of the year. And above all that, he is a man of God, a man of faith. I can't wait to get into his story to hear his wisdom. So without further ado, the one, the only Bridgeport Tussler Bridge was good. Hey, how we doing? Glad to be here. Thank you for having me on. Yes, well, I'm excited. Let's let's jump right in. So, I know you as uh, Bridgeport, the two sport college dominating uh, football basketball player. People know you as a coach, but where did it all begin for you? How did your journey with sports get started? Yeah, so I think uh, just kind of growing up, I was naturally drawn to sports. Um, my mom played basketball growing up, so I think right away I kind of picked up a basketball early. Uh, but that being said, there's, I just wanted to play any kind of sport. So I actually grew up in Section 8 housing, and uh, we played hockey actually a lot of the times on the basketball court, which is kind of fun to think about. Um, but then gym class and so forth. So I think I just naturally grew a passion for it. Uh, but once I got into organized sports about fourth, fifth grade, I really found my love to just compete. I didn't really know if I was good or not um, playing out on the playground every single day. Everybody's good out there. And so once we got into structure play, um, I think that's kind of how it really started. And then when I got into public school and attended kind of like Osseo um, junior high or now it's middle school and high school that uh, I found my niche. I found my niche in basketball and football specifically. Um, I played one year of tennis as a senior in high school, but um, overall, I think my family is an athletic family. We just, we love sports. We love to be part of it. 
and growing up being a mama's boy and she played basketball, I wanted to be just like her. So I wore number 50 as well. Um, she wore 50. And I think that's kind of when I think back in time, that's when I really started. Yeah. So what level did your mom play? Yeah, like, so she played. Um, yeah, she played. So she got third place in high school. So that was kind of her big moment in that way. And then she did go to New York University um, for about a year, year and a half. And um, went there to play basketball as well. Wanted to get out of the home state. And then she ended up coming back home. Um, so I'm technically the first one to graduate from an undergrad, um, but I'm not technically the first one to go to college. I'm just yeah. the one to finish. And so it's been, it's been a fun journey, especially looking back. I mean, I go through a lot of old stuff and there's still old tapes of her and so forth. I mean, she was, she was tough. And I think that's the biggest thing is as a son, I could never be, I didn't want to be weaker than my mom, but she was a pretty high standard to reach up to. Um, so she was definitely a huge role model in my eyes in that way. Mm, that's awesome. So you mentioned growing up like Section 8 housing. Was there ever barriers to you really getting to uh, play and compete? Yeah, so um, not so much like financially. So we grew up uh, probably five, 10 minutes away from my grandparents. And then about fifth grade, uh, I moved in with my grandparents, my mom, my little brother and I. So um, it's a very unique situation because times were tougher for sure financially and just the overall environment we had and so forth. But at the same time, we were blessed to have three sources of income between my mom and my grandparents. So um, there's no financial barrier that way. The only barrier I do laugh at is uh, I was told that black kids don't play hockey. This was back in 2000, 2001. Uh, and I remember not even knowing what that meant. It's, and so, uh, But overall, I mean, I wanted to play hockey growing up. But once I put a ball in my hands, uh, that kind of took care of the winter sport for sure. Uh, the biggest yeah. thing that was probably the barrier with Section 8 was I wanted to play with my buddies. And mm. so I was in Section 8, but I was going to Heritage Christian Academy. Um, mm. And so just little things like that where there's so many of my friends growing up that are tremendous athletes that didn't have the same luxuries that I did, even though I grew up in Section 8 and had support outside of our community. Um, so that was probably my biggest barriers. I wanted to really play with the friends that I was going home with or hanging out with at home. So, yeah. Wow. It's, it's um, good that you share that. Cause I think people forget um, it's not always the most talented or the people with the most potential that, that make certain achievements, but your context really, it does matter. And, and, you kind of saw that firsthand, it sounds like, with with friends. And I don't know if you want to say any more there or if we keep pressing on. Yeah, so I think the last thing is, I think that's true the longer you play. Uh, I think there's plenty of athletes right now that I know that are playing overseas or so forth, or they're in their fourth, fifth, maybe even sixth year of college ball. And I think a lot of it is just not giving up. Um, I think a lot of people, life hit them. It's something different. Um, I remember talking with my wife now and uh, in the time of us getting engaged, uh, I was actually trying to physically get back in shape to go play overseas and get a chance to try to live that dream. And I'll be completely honest. It was the right call. I chose my wife over that dream for sure. Um, and I love the life we have now. God has truly blessed us that way. And so when I say give up, I don't necessarily mean in a bad way, but there's just other things that hits you at when you're 22, 23, or maybe even earlier in life. And uh, just in general for all athletes out there, I think that's a huge thing to understand is if you keep showing up and keep putting in the work, 
uh, there's going to be a spot for you and you can kind of keep grinding. And that, go- that correlates with everything in life and jobs and relationships and so forth. It's mm. mm. a good word. So bring us into your high school world um, of Bridgeport. When, when are you, when do you kind of hit the field and hit the court and what is it like for you kind of experiencing that success? Yeah. So this is kind of crazy thinking back that far. <laughs> uh, my freshman year, we had a ton of, uh, a ton of talent. I put on the freshman football team, freshman basketball team. And by the end of that year, a lot of people were transferring out just because we were so deep. And I think that was just something that kind of ate at me a little bit as I really wanted to build a program with these guys. Um, but my sophomore year is kind of where things hit, hit the ground running, I guess, football. Um, the running back ahead of me got in trouble for a game and I ended up starting and it's my first couple, you know, first high school start ever and played well. <laughs> I laugh. I didn't score. I was so worried about not fumbling and being the sophomore to fumble. So, I mean, that's the only game I ever ran with a ball with two hands on it. Um, but that, then I started to get progress and I don't really care about what other people say or the fame and stuff like that. But when I was wearing, you know, when you wear your game Jersey on a Friday morning or at school, people are like, aren't you a sophomore? For me, I was just a football player. Grade didn't matter. I was blessed to play on a team that was gracious to have me on it. Uh, coaching staff thought I was valuable, so they added me to the roster. That was always my mindset. And then that correlated to basketball. I mean, I broke my elbow end of high school or end of my sophomore year for football. And I remember going to my coach saying, like, what do I got to do to make the team? All this stuff. And he laughed and said, you're making varsity. You're already on it. And so when I look back on it, I'm a sophomore who's going to be making varsity without a tryout. Um I had no idea that was my ability. I had no idea. I just kept my head down. I just wanted to play. I just wanted to compete. Um, I was confident, but not in comparison to others. I just felt like I could do enough work to help my team win. Uh, And then junior and senior year kind of just kept going. My junior year for basketball, we did win state. Uh, We won state with eight seniors. I was the only junior on that starting roster, that varsity roster. And then we had a sophomore that was 6'8", Ian Tyson, phenomenal big. Um, and so I just felt like we just got so much success in different areas, whether it's basketball, football, in the classroom. Um, and then, yeah, a lot of my athletes that I played with went on to play college ball. So the hardest year was actually probably senior year when a lot of our leadership left. Um, mm. And I looked up to them a lot. I, I was really close with them. I played up a lot. And then I got to play with my class, which was awesome. Um, but I learned real quick that I was the leader and I had to be a little bit different than I was being the junior point guard looking up to leaders. It's a, it, to me, it's easier to play that role. It's easier to play the freshman X factor role on a college team. But when you're the senior captain leader, everyone's looking up to you. Uh, I think it weighs on you a little bit more, weighs on you different and still have no complaints about it. But that was a huge learning curve for my junior to senior year of high school athletics. Yeah. Yeah, well, it, it's almost a blessing that you had this humility. It's like you may not even have known or been trying to be humble, but like you maybe didn't realize how good you were. And uh, that probably helped you to not be cocky and to, to keep your head down and work. And it sounds like you had coaches that really – saw your potential and pulled it out of you before you even saw it, um, which is cool. And you can comment on that. Like, would you say that's accurate? 
Yeah, for sure. And even now with my faith, um, I do a lot of reflecting. I always heard experience isn't, isn't knowledge. It's kind of when you reflect on your experiences that you kind of gain some more knowledge about your past. And um, when I really think about my faith journey and how my parents, my grandparents and my mom raised me, I think that helped a lot because I, I think I was oblivious to a lot of outside noise. Um, I never thought about going out after a game with teammates and stuff like that. Right. And so I didn't get in trouble simply because I went home every day. I went home. We, we would actually have people over at our house every single after every game. And we were the safe house in that sense. You know, um, we had rules, we had guidelines. You came in, you respected our home and that was just life. So I didn't really get to any, um, what am I trying to say? Any distractions, um, temptations maybe and stuff like that. I just, it was almost like work, you know, I show up, go to school, play after, come home and repeat. Yeah. Um, and so I think my, my household has a ton of say to that, um, as well as just how they raised me. And I really think God had blinders on for me. And, you know, so I was just still focused on what was, what mattered most in the, yeah. in the moment. That's so cool. It's something my wife and I have talked about with, we have two, uh, sons and they're still like in their preschool, but we hope to be a family where it's like you want to be home Friday night, Saturday night, and you want to invite your friends because we're going to have fun. And that way, like, we'd rather have them being with us, having fun, bringing friends, than being out, do, you know, potentially getting in trouble. Um, So that's so cool that, that you um, had that experience. How do you begin to um, determine where you want to be in college? Yeah, that was uh, that was a really big journey for me. Um, I didn't I didn't have the the goal or desire, I guess, of the need. I should say, of playing Division One or Division Two. I didn't really I didn't know what college was. It kind of felt like a fantasy to me. Like, what is the scholarship? What do you mean they offered you a scholarship? I had no idea how that works. Um, is it a phone call? Is it a written letter? I had no idea. Is it a package? So um, I still remember when I got my first offer from North Dakota out in Grand Forks. And I remember my coach, Darren Lacker, said, you know, you can tell your mom that she doesn't have to pay for college. And that hit home. Um, now, he could have said that to almost every other athlete that got a Division One scholarship in his time of coaching. But for me, that was... I didn't even know that was a big deal for me until he said it and it kind of hit home. So that was a huge starting point. And then, uh, and then, you know, some started breaking in, some started coming in and it was really exciting time for sure to feel wanted, to feel needed, valued that way. Um, And so I ended up choosing to go to Northern Iowa and the moment I said, you know, I'm committed and so forth, it didn't sit right. I think uh, truly now, and I look back on it, it was the Holy spirit saying, Look, you chose you and I because David Johnson was there at the time, played with the Cardinals. Um, and I watched him do like a like a 360 dunk off vertical. And I was like, I want to be this guy. I want to – he's going to the league. I want to be the next running back after him to go to the league. Um, and I knew all their athletes are running good 40s. My struggle was a 40 time. So I was like, they're going to get me perfect for the NFL. That's my goal. That's my dream. This is a ticket. But again, the Holy Spirit was – I mean, we went to Dairy Queen today, that night, and I didn't eat anything. I was so sick to my stomach. I was more nervous then than I was all high school and um, thought on it a lot and prayed on it a little bit and 
finally just decided to kind of switch schools. South Dakota State was the other option. My best friend to this day, Jake Winnicky, was already committed there. Uh, I went to Maple Grove, so me and him played youth sports together and against each other our entire lives. And that was the school I committed to. And when I committed, I texted him right away and said, what's up, roommate? Kind of just assuming we'd be roommates if I committed there. And uh, he called me in school. This was back when schools were not allowed at all in class. Um, and I remember just saying, hey, I got to take a step out. I'm so excited. I'm relieved. Uh, weight lifted off my shoulders. I could tell God was kind of saying, yeah, this is the right decision. Uh, and he had to humble me. I told myself I would never decommit. I would never transfer. And I would never go to school in the Midwest. Well, I did all three. Um and so I, you know, you want to make God laugh, tell him your plans. Right. And so yeah. uh, that was kind of the starting to it all. And then I ended up transferring to Bethel um, University after one year because I missed hoops so much. And I had confidence, but I definitely was at SDSU struggling for the first time in football. And I learned real quick that I liked, if I'm going to be honest, I liked being good at football, but I loved basketball. And mm -hmm. so if I was struggling at football, I wasn't that I respect football players so much now that stick it out because I was not me. Um, I didn't love it to that point of just grind, grind, grind. I could do that in almost any other sport, especially oops. But that was kind of the main deciding factor why I decided to leave and go to Bethel University. Yeah. Were were all your offers football or were you getting basketball interest? Yeah. So I was getting some Division two basketball interest and they were typically tagged with football. Um, growing up, I always saw myself as a football athlete. The moment I, the moment I touched the football, I was just naturally gifted at it. Um, basketball, I think I was good enough to, I could play defense, right? But I wasn't the flashy scorer. I couldn't shoot the ball. Um, and then I developed over time. But it felt like if I was going to go D2, I would have the best of both worlds. I could play basketball and football. If I wanted to go Division One, it was definitely just football. Um, and then D3 was, you know, I could do both as well. So yeah. uh, I, I think how I also tall? listened to that. Oh, God. How tall are you again? Uh, 5'11 on a good day. <laughs> yeah, with the hair, you get, get a lot of hair going on. So, yeah, I mean, probably people would look at you as more of a football body type and maybe skill set, but you just miss basketball. So – why Bethel? How'd that happen? Yeah, so um, during my time in high school, um, I looked at a St. Thomas probably the most. And when I decided to transfer, I, looked, I went back to St. Thomas just to kind of give him another look. I respect Johnny Tower a ton, uh, like almost as much as Doug Novak, who I played for. Um, Doug just poured so much into me. I can't put Johnny Tower above there, but uh, I really just respect him. And it was always an appeal to go to St. Thomas. I know a lot of people and a lot of relationships at St. Thomas, but then it became St. John's because I was like, okay, I'm putting St. Thomas to the side. So it really came down to St. John's or Bethel. And the best way to put it, St. John's told me everything I wanted to hear. You know, I'm this broken athlete out in South Dakota State transferring. I don't feel good about myself in any way. And they're just starting to feed me all this stuff of like, you're going to be great here. You're going to be successful after here. Johnny's hired Johnny's and all these things. It was it was feeding my flesh to a T. I was hitting every single point. I even had four buddies transfer there because I was so sure I was going there. And then I sat down with Coach Jay and Doug Novak. And, um, and they would they asked me all the time, like, what, what kind of man do you want to be? 
what kind of father do you want to be? What kind of husband do you want to be? And, you know, you can play both. You're going to be in a great atmosphere, uh, loving Christian community. And it was one of those that I knew it was the right decision, but I didn't want to do it. And so I held on to that forever. I went back to St. John's two, three more times on visits. I loved every single second of it. Um, you know, I'm trying to figure out, I just gave up this NFL dream. Um, do I want to start having the college fun that everyone talks about, whatever the case is. And so St. John's was hitting that. And then again, I just kept hearing those words. What kind of man do you want to be? What kind of husband? What, what kind of father? And I remember going home and sitting next to my grandpa and just sharing my, my, my battle. I felt like I was in a tug of war getting pulled back and forth. My, my spirits tell me one thing, my flesh is telling me the other. And He's just flat out said, it looks like you know what your choice is, but I have no influence on you. And pretty much what he told me is, uh, I'm not going to make this decision for you. God has a plan either way. Um, don't be scared to make the right one. And it was like, all right, done. So as much as I want to say, I'll credit to him. I think how they, how my parents and family helped me make my decision by letting me do it on my own uh, was the biggest piece for me. Because I, at the end of the day, I have to walk the walk for the next four years. And I knew Bethel was going to be that. It's going to be way more than just a college education. And that's what I value in Christian institutions so much is that they really do build you to be what kind of person you want to be. And um, yeah, now I'm a husband and a father of two little gorgeous boys. And um, I can credit Bethel to some of the things I teach them or I want to teach them in the future. And so at the end of the day, I know I made the right decision. Wow. How old are your boys? Yeah, so Phoenix is now about 22 months, um, 22 months old. And then Treasure is five months old. Okay. Wow. Yeah, mine are 15 months apart. So mm-hmm. you're you're close. Yeah, we're right there. That's great. Um, that's so countercultural to the recruiting world, right? Like, especially... Nowadays, it's probably enhanced more than ever. But it's like, what kind of money can you get? What kind of NIL? What kind of media attention? Um, Like, all this stuff that they try and use. And and what sold you was like, hey, who do you want to be? What kind of person? And... um. That's so countercultural, but it seems so obvious, like way more important. Because, <laughs> like, sure, you could go to college and be on TV and this and that for two, three, four years, but then you have your whole life and who you are. That's with you the rest of your life, not parties and, and, you know, NIL money or whatever. Hey, 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 if you are enjoying this podcast, I need you to do two things. One, go on whatever platform that you're on and follow the podcast. Rate us and review us. This will help the algorithm and help this podcast reach more people. So thank you. Then I want you to head to 1020words.com slash D-Y-A T-E-N 20words.com slash D-Y-A Check out our merchandise. We got hoodies, crew necks, sweatshorts, t-shirts, 
anything that you would want. Get some super comfy stylish apparel and use code all caps DYA20 and take 20% off. Follow us on social media, Instagram at Dear Young Athlete or on TikTok and Instagram. My account is at 1020Words. If you're interested in being on the podcast or bringing Dear Young Athlete to your school, team, or group, simply head to the website and click the button that says bring DYA to your team, school, or group and send me an email and I will look forward to connecting with you. Now, let's get back to the episode. Yeah, no, absolutely. And it's definitely changed now. I always say I transferred and decommitted back when it wasn't cool <laughs> and it wasn't popular for sure. You know, there no, there's no talk about a portal. This is only 10 years ago, but um, but yeah, the game's changed a lot. And now on the college side, I'm seeing it a little bit more and how we do things. And so just overall, it's it was a really good life lesson. And there's no glory in it. There's absolutely no glory in it. But I got a taste of that glory at SDSU. And now they're not the same powerhouse as they were, but we, we were laying down a foundation for sure. You could see it, um, which is why I was drawn to it. Uh, but even at SDSU, when they won, there's no there's no glory in that sense compared to other bigger schools and stuff like that. Um, like when Dion primetime was with Jackson State, and if they would have won it, way different type of glory than there would be at SDSU. And so, um, yeah, just at the end of the day, it's not satisfying. You know, I didn't want to sit around the dinner table when I'm 40 talking about these D1 days or whatever. Um, and so I think that that hit me a lot. And I, I will also say I felt myself drifting away from Christ during my transfer time. My identity was definitely as much as I thought I was following Christ and had some actions towards following Christ. I drifted a lot. So when I decided to leave, um, I didn't party at all because I knew I wasn't the best athlete out there. And so I was like, maybe if I don't put anything in my body, I'll be able to make the NFL or at least get a tryout. But once I gave up the Division One dream, it's not that it can't be done at D3, but I was kind of giving that part up. And mm-hmm. so I was like, OK, well, how can I enjoy my next four years of college? And um, I just knew deep down if I went to St. John's, I probably wouldn't have graduated. I don't think I would have had the self-discipline or the people around me to really build me up. And so, mm-hmm. um, you know, and there's conflicts when I was at Bethel, for sure, because every every weekend you're hearing about other people having fun somewhere else. And so there's just times there that you had to figure out what was best for you. And I failed at times. And um, But again, Bethel can bring you in and build you up, which was huge. Yeah. So I remember being at Bethel, I had four of my roommates uh, were on the football team. And it was like, oh, this guy, Bridgeport's Hustler, he's transferring here. He was D1 and yada, yada, Mr. Football. And we uh, found your YouTube, <laughs> your <laughs> highlight video. And we were like, we were super hyped. Um, like this guy's coming to Bethel. So take us into your world a little bit, like at Bethel, playing football, playing basketball. What was your experience like um, with all that? Yeah, so it's been, it was a journey for sure. Um, I do remember getting a pamphlet from Bethel after a visit, and I'll be completely honest, it was an all-white pamphlet. Everyone on there was white. And I didn't care too much about race. I mean, I grew up with three white parents, so I actually grew up with three more white more white parents than 
a, a traditional white household, right? So um, it was just something that I decided I want to make a change. I wanted to be, I would have to be the one to take that step, that leap of faith to be of color, um, to walk into a building and try to be one of the best athletes of color there. And uh, football and basketball, to be honest, were completely different experiences. Uh, football was great right away. That was the third running back behind um, Brandon Marquardt and, uh, and Marshall Klitschke. And it was a great time. I mean, like I said, it's easy to be the freshman next factor. So it was easy to be the third running back and still be able to go out and, and thrive. Um, I loved that year. That year was really special to me. And then I didn't like the basketball year. Um, I was happy to be playing basketball, but uh, Doug Novak is a genius. He's a wizard. And I'll be completely honest, I didn't know anything about hoops as much as I thought I did. Uh, but he's a great teacher. And so we had some success there. I think we barely missed playoffs or missed the NCAA tournament. Um, we had some great upsets. I mean, we beat St. Olaf three times, which were nationally ranked and uh, made it to the Mike Championship. So that stuff was really fun. But as I got older, I could find myself more and more being drawn to basketball. Uh, football was kind of fading a little bit. For some reason, I wasn't getting, the, honestly, the looks or the touches that I thought I could be getting. And if you want to hear me talk about selfish play, it's me as a running back. I always viewed, and I'm probably wrong in this, but I always viewed as a running back, you give me the ball, I score, it helps us win. Um, if we're losing and I'm not getting the ball, I'm kind of like, give me a chance. And I could tell my, I could tell I was being more selfish during those times. And I'm having this spiritual battle of like, you know, again, like we talked about, like I'm division one, I'm transferring here. I came here to dominate. I want to be an all American and stuff like that. So I really struggled with that part on the football side. Um, and the basketball side was the exact opposite. I felt like I wasn't the best athlete out there and Novak kept giving me more opportunities and we kept having success. And I'm playing with Trevor Hall, Bryson White, Granger, Kingland, Derek Magnuson, Tim Hansen, and we're just killing it. We're beating Concordia St. Paul Division II by 20 points. Um, you know, we made it to the Maya Championship. We beat St. John's. We make it to the NCAA Tournament. Like, that's when I have fun. I don't care about my numbers. I don't care about anything like that. Um, but I still watch film to this day and just really admire. I see all of our drills, all of our skills that we work on every day come out into play. And I think that's what I miss most is the camaraderie between my guys. Um, I still talk to a lot of them. And I in relation to Bethel football, I think a lot of football athletes at Bethel have that same feeling. I just happen to have it on the basketball side. So mm -hmm. there's not a negative notion towards the football. Um, but for me, as I think about my college football career compared to high school, football is kind of a wash. It wasn't the greatest. Um, mm -hmm. It wasn't the best experience. I went through a lot of spiritual battles there. I was angry at God for a very long time. And then basketball would come and I could kind of forget about it. And then when basketball was over, I had all summer to think about all the football stuff again as football was approaching. So, um, I mean, I went through it. I think God was really testing me and where my identity really was. It shifted from football to basketball. And now it's purely on him and how I can be the best follower of him. And now then husband and father, as well as coach and teammate and um, with our coaching staff and just leader in general. Hmm. What does graduating look like and figuring out next steps? How do you end up coaching? And then if you can tell us kind of what being a coach means to you and why you coach, um, take us there. Yeah, so I always knew I wanted to be a coach. Um, I, I never thought about life not playing. So I think that was a little wake-up call when I decided not to play anymore. But uh, my wife and I started coaching fifth grade girls AAU at Crossfire uh, when I was a senior in college. 
And so that was a blast. I mean, to be able to just hang out, um, girls are so much more fun to coach than, than boys. I'll say to this day. Um, and that was a really good experience. And to get it, get to do it with your girlfriend, who's now becomes your wife. Like that's a really big blessing. And we're still coaching that same team. A couple of players have changed, but it's still the same core of group of girls. And so that's been a great, um, that's what kind of got me into college women's basketball, but I coached at Monticello high school on the boys side. Uh, to be honest, Gary Revenig is one of the best athletic directors I've ever worked for. Gave me a chance at, what, 20, 24, 25? Gave me a chance to lead his boys' basketball team. Um, we had two good years. Both years were in COVID, so it was a little different. Mm. Um, you know, and because of COVID, everyone's records are all messed up. And so we were never fully com- fully healthy or complete till the end of the year. And so we were the seventh seed going into section playoffs and beat the two seed, the three seed, then the one seed. And I think that's really fun to say. Uh, it's kind of like a Cinderella story. And uh, then I ended up going to Bethel. I wanted to coach under Doug Novak. That's truly why I left Monticello. People ask me, did I want to get in college? Um, I did, but I wanted to coach under Doug. I wanted to learn from him. I missed his leadership. I mean, I just, I want to be back in college and with him. I really look mm-hmm. up to him and his family. And then he took a job at Mississippi State over that summer. And so I was kind of not out of a job. Bethel um, kind of wanted to keep me around, but I wanted to look elsewhere. And now since he was gone, I wanted a different college experience. I wanted to learn from somebody else in a different environment. And so Abe, Coach Abe at McAllister brought me in. And it's kind of how I really kicked off on the college side of things. Still coaching girls AAU at the side, still doing basketball training on the side. So I'm still working with youth. I really love working with the youth um, in any community. And um, a lot of my time of coaching is always learning about how to be the best administrator because it's not my strength. My strength is probably X and O's and relationships, uh, motivation, things like that. Um, so I'm trying to figure out how, how to run a program. What does recruiting look like? Team meetings, um, just being more organized in general. And so there's a lot of stuff outside of off the court that people don't really realize about with college coaching and even high school coaching. Uh, and so, you know, what it means to me is still when I'm with my players. Um, so even though I struggle with the administration stuff and the organization, that's by far one of my more weaknesses of it all. Um, you know, when I get to be in our film room and we get to talk, we get to coach, we get to do film. And there's also a team of coaches around. You know, we have three assistants right now here at Crown, and it's a really fun group of guys. We get on each other a lot. It's it's kind of like back in college days where you pick on each other, and it's in a loving way. Um, but that's the biggest piece that we really care about is how can we pour into these players? And that's what I like about recruiting, finding people, starting to build a relationship. You get to know them for a year or two. Next thing you know, they're in uniform in your program and you get to really shine that light on them. Um, and so one of the biggest things that I've learned this year is we've, it's called a life together group is what we do here at Crown on Mondays. It's kind of like a Bible study. Um, for me, I didn't go with scripture based. Um, we did a book called Building a Non-Anxious Life by Dr. John Deloney. He's a Ramsey personality. And that was a big thing for us. And I learned so much than I thought I would. I read the book. I knew it all. I believed it all. But then when I'm starting to teach it and I'm open and I'm vulnerable and talking about, you know, maybe family is sick or maybe we're, we're financially stressed or my my boy got sick and what that looked like. This has all happened in the last three months. And yeah, I'm still showing up every day, putting a smile on my face, coming to do work. We want to win games, but I, I want to pour into these kids too. And at the end of the day, that's really what it means to me. So I really want coaching to be on my tombstone um, as well as a father and husband. But um, I still have kids from Monticello texting me, hey, coach. And that there's nothing more that means the world to me than that. 
um, outside of family. And so, yeah, I think coach is the best thing you could ever call me. And so mm. some people don't know that. So they still call me by first name. I'm not an authority, authoritative type of person. I'm not like call me coach blank, but those that call me coach, it it really means a lot when they say it. Yeah. Well, it's, it's cool because your dream, it seemed like it was NFL, right? And then maybe it was pro overseas basketball, but, but what you're doing now, maybe it wasn't your dream, but you're finding like, this is more fulfilling even than, than if my dreams have worked out. Yeah, absolutely. And I think there's a lot of humility that comes involved with coaching. I mean, um, you every you know you think you're going to build every year, right? Your record's going to increase in wins every year. You think um, your life's going to get easier maybe every single year. It's not like it, you know it's a it's a roller coaster. You know, I want to be here for the ups, the downs, the turnarounds, the upside downs. I really want to be here for it all. Um, I think that's our walk with Christ. And so I remember getting this job, right? It's a dream job. It's college athletics, head women's basketball coach at Crown Crown College, and um, full time. I mean, I don't I don't teach a class. Um, I mean, besides our life together group, right? But I'm not. It's not, I'm not knocking high school at all, but I don't have to teach a class with a bunch of high school students and then go coach basketball after. Like I'm doing basketball the moment I wake up, the moment I go to bed. And I remember people saying it right away. Like you're, you know, you're going to crown, they're bashing the place. And so I'm having to balance the opportunity to get the dream job I want in a field I want in a Christian college with outsiders, not even realizing it, but throwing absolute shade, if you will, under hatred and they don't mean anything by it, right? It's just a comment that they're saying. And they have no idea what the crazy things that we're doing here at Crown or the the peace that I have being here at Crown. I think there's just so many different things about it. Uh, everyone wants the next best thing, right? Everyone wants the next golden ticket and make an impact where you are. And I think that's what God has truly shown me here is um, just with whatever the case is that in comparison to other schools or other jobs, especially in coaching now, everyone's leaving. Everyone moves up to a bigger, better job. And for us, it's be where your feet are. I think that's one thing Coach Jay always said at Bethel that I say to this day, be where your feet are. And um, it's really fun to be here. It's really fun to build a program. This is only year two. I've only been here for a couple more months after a year, really, if you think about it, in last August. And it's totally different than last year. And But you still see traction. You see momentum. You get the hang of things and uh, anything you do right away is going to be tough. And so that's where it's really fun is uh, just to really see the growth that you do and to see players mature as they get older and they get to, they might not understand when you're speaking to them, but they expand, they understand a year later after you've spoken to them. And I think that can be really valuable. Yeah. Yeah. I've kind of, this is something I've been thinking about lately and I think you'll resonate as a running back, but when you watch a running back highlight video, it seems so amazing, right? Like, it it looks so fun. Like, I want to do that because um, all their 20, 30, 40-yard runs. But what people don't think about is, like, that highlight video, that may have came from 5, 10 years and maybe have 20 highlights. But the majority of the time is pounding in the trenches 
pounding in the weight room, pounding at practice, none of that is on the highlight video. And like, we can't fall in love with, with the highlights, right? It's like, you're, what you have to love is being in it day in, day out, pounding day in, day out, and maybe highlights come, maybe a a ring, I hope a ring will come for you, and um, whatever, awards, but like the majority of it is is a daily grind, and that's what you sign up for, that's what you have to love. Yeah, no, absolutely. Especially, I think football's for me always sounded like a grind. Um, yeah, hundred percent. When I think about, I mean, when I was at South Dakota State, there was no indoor facility, so I remember having like a goatee. I never shaved in college, so like my goatee was just really nasty and ugly. And um, I remember it turning into an icicle after practice as I walked to class after a shower. And um, I mean, it just overall, I mean, I will flat out tell anybody, I'm not the tough football player. Um, I think I was one tough basketball player just physically and um, I grinded a little bit and maybe it's because I was playing against different types of athletes. I think football helped me on the court more than anything. But um, I mean, when I watched, I admire running backs. I think that's the thing that I can, I'll die saying is that I really like the position of running back. Um, I also respect it more. I don't want my kids to play because they get beat up all the time, but if they want to play running back, fine, go ahead. I'll support it. Um but I think that's one thing I, I do like football. I mean, I watch NFL every Sunday. It's like, that's, that's just the thing. I'm that stereotype. I laugh at my pastor talks about how we as America love football too much. And I'm like, I can't wait till noon. <laughs> like I'm totally going to be putting it on totally. So, um, but I mean, I just, I just admire the position of running back so much. The vision, uh, I see the joy or the, I see the success of a three yard run. Cause that is what's important in that moment. Um, and so the highlights are great, but I think that's just the cherry on top. That's that's when you wake up and it's a 70 degrees sunny day, no humidity, right? But you got to learn how to live every other day and find the joy in other days too, right? You have great experiences outside of those days. But um, yeah, I think there's a ton of work to be done. And Andy Minio has a saying, like, if you see, if you see the kid shining, that's just a glimmer from his sweat. And I think there's a huge piece in that. Um, gives me goosebumps every time I hear him say it because I think it correlates athletics so much. Um, we talk about with coaching, right? Uh, I'm 28. I'm a head coach, and this is my second season of college. I think the average high school male or college male coach is like 35 or 38. And mm. I think that's just – it resonates with me a little bit more. If like, I'm doing this early too. I get to learn early. I don't have to put in the grunt work all the time of being an assistant, a grad assistant things like that. So I think God was really gracious with me and giving me an opportunity to do it early. Um, yeah. But I've learned with, with great, with this great title, with this great job comes a lot of responsibility. And so it's been, I almost quoted Spider-Man, Spider-Man. right there for a second. <laughs> it was so close with great power comes great responsibility. But, um, but yeah, I think overall there's a huge blessing uh, with where we're at. Man, that's so good. If you can, um, well, just, the last part I love you said the victory in a three yard run. And that's exactly what I'm saying. Like that three yard run is not showing up on the highlight video. But when you can fall in love with those those daily grind victories, whether in a sport, in a workplace, in your family, that's huge. Um 
I want to hear if you can bring us into your faith journey, kind of what growing up was like, um, what sort of major things has God kind of done in your life, and then how is your faith kind of lived out? What what does it mean to you uh, and look like now? Hey, are you a high school or college athlete looking to use social media to share your faith in Christ? If so, I would love to personally connect with you and tell you about our brand ambassador program where we can get you hooked up with some of our merchandise to rep on your social media platforms. And we can get you hooked up with a coupon code for your audience where you earn commission on any sales that come from your platform. Head to our website and click the button that says become a brand ambassador. I look forward to connecting with you and let's spread the good news together and do it in style. Yeah, so I think right away, I give credit to my my grandpa. Um, he was the first one in my family to commit his life to Christ in his 30s. Um, so I wasn't even born yet, but it it changed. It changed his family. I mean, his marriage struggled even because of it at times and because he was the only one on fire for a while and um, rebellious kids and they didn't want to do it. And they were kind of like, what happened to my dad, right? So just thinking back, putting myself in his shoes on what that could be like. Um, and then it trickled down, right? It hit my mom, then it hit me and uh, his wife so my grandma's you know we're all followers of christ and um i think it starts there so i really look up to from a human standpoint the decisions we make impact our generations after mm -hmm. us and so um i mean when i see my boys i see my grandpa's decision you know 40 years ago and it gets me i really appreciate him even more than um and just seeing the sacrifices that they've made so i've seen my my family walk the walk by taking us in. Um, I mean, I was a hard-headed kid. I was rebellious. I was, um, you know, God was a fictional character in my mind for a while. I I participated in church. We did Wednesdays um, called Royal Rangers. So like Christian Boy Scouts. Loved my time there. My grandpa was my commander. Um, loved my time with my grandpa. Um, but he'll tell you right now that I was upset after any day if we didn't play dodgeball after so, mm -hmm. I, you know, I'm doing, I'm learning rope tying. I'm learning how to um, use a knife and, a, and an axe, whatever the case. But like, if we're not playing dodgeball after, I don't care what your lesson was. I don't care what scripture you said. Right. So I was still more athletically driven in that way still. Um, but overall, I mean, I think it's the daily deposit that he did with me. And uh, I've learned this too with my kids. They watch more than they listen. And so what, what he was doing, uh, I, I hold on to now way more than whatever he said to me. And now what he says to me rings more because I, I know it's true. And so I think my faith walk was very, it was my parents' faith in high school. And I wasn't, um, I'm say, I wasn't doing a lot of the immoral things that a lot of my teammates were doing or classmates were doing. So I thought I was better than them in some ways. Um, my faith really took a turn in college. Um, when I started to have fun, if you will, I started a party, whatever the case, and I graduated and I couldn't let it go. I just, I couldn't let it go. It was like a lifestyle at this point. Um, but at the same time, I'm trying to live for Christ and I, I couldn't get rid of these bad habits. And I remember sitting there at church, um, 
Grace Covenant. Uh, this is a small group called Rise Up, and now it's Risen Life Church. And um, I mean, I'm praying. I'm praying for like an hour, hour and a half. I'm praying in tongues. I'm crying. Hands are being laid on me. Church has ended. Church is like an hour done. And I'm going through probably like some withdrawal symptoms. I haven't really ate well for the last month. And to be completely transparent, uh, I could feel all addictions leave my body. I could feel pretty much all sin leave my body. I felt empty. I felt kind of whole at the same time. And my wife and I went out and ate at a buffet after that, right? So, and I could tell right away that God just worked a real life miracle inside me. And not one of like, you almost crash a car and you're like, oh, I'm good. Like, and you could maybe thank God for it. No, this was like, I've just been going through the trenches for 30 days straight. I've been getting up at 5 a.m. to work out, to get my body better, to clear my body of these toxins that I was doing. And it changed my life. I mean, from then on, it's just absolutely been different. And I finally got a touch of God and it wasn't a question mark in my head. It's he put permanent faith in me in that moment. And, um, and I was just really, really rewarding. And then on the top of that, you got to still live life. Right. So, um, I still have to go in day, but day, day to day and still seeing some friends that are still doing stuff. And I got to figure out, you know, how can I now lead them in the right direction? How can I truly share that Christ is real, that his love for you is so real. And he wants you to be in relationship with him, not just read your scripture, not just sing a worship song, go to church, like he literally wants you as a, as his son, as a follower. Um, and I think that's where a lot of churches are missing it. You know, mm-hmm. it's almost like a, it's a religion as much as we don't say it's a religion. Um, but at the end of the day, it's a, it's a relationship. And um, yeah, so my faith walk has been, been up and down for sure. Um, but at the end of the day, he keeps bringing me back to to him way more than some type of religious practice or a good deed. Uh, and I think even at, to be honest and transparent at a Christian institution, I think you could kind of fall back into that. of like, Hey, I'm good enough or I'm better mm-hmm. than my opponent because we're at a Christian school um, or we're saved by grace or however you want to put it. Right. And uh, I think sometimes it takes more work here because you got to live it out every day. People are always looking for you to fail. And if you do fail, how do you admit it? How do you be transparent and vulnerable and admit that you were wrong and still move forward? Um, and so I think, yeah, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter if I'm at a, boldly Christian school like Crown College, or if I'm at the most liberal, um, non-Christian school out there in the country, I'm, I'm still going to walk my same walk, and I'm not going to water it down by any means, and we're going to keep moving forward. Hmm. Yeah, that's that's right on. I think, like, yeah, it's, it's one thing to be surrounded by Christianity, right? Whether church or Christian school, um, but if, if you don't have a relationship, then it is just rules and there's no joy and no freedom in that. And that's why people go to other things. Like, why wouldn't you go party or go hook up or whatever? Cause that might be fun and feel good. And if, if, you're not being having any joy and fulfillment in Christ. You might as well do that. But if you do that, you'll find the emptiness in it. And it's so powerful to me. Like we we serve a a living God, who in, he wants to encounter you, 
and he he encountered you in a tangible way and i feel my story is very similar having like a tangible encounter with god that kind of changed my whole life and it's like it's not that you always need some tangible encounter because some days you you have to remember that and you just have to keep having faith and keep walking by faith but but he is a a living god he's so much better than life without him and i think if people can realize that that's where transformation really happens um also i like that you said um you may have had this encounter, right? But then you got to keep living it out day by day. And I think of, I think the easiest example I think about is like, if you want to lose like a hundred pounds, you have to make a one-time decision. But like at some point you have to say, all right, I'm going to lose this weight, right? But then you have to make a series of daily decisions with what you eat and how you work out and when you go to sleep. And following Christ to me is like that. Like, yeah, you have to make that one-time choice, but then you have to make a daily uh, choice and you won't always be perfect. But if you, if you keep showing up and keep after it, like, if you're trying to lose weight, you might fall back one day. But if you keep going on that journey, it's going to happen. So I like that. It's like the decision and then the multi-daily choices. Yeah, actually, you're, you... pre- you're preaching good. This is awesome. <laughs> well, well, um. I think you touched on kind of the origin of this podcast. You kind of shared how even in church, like you were athletically driven. That's how I felt growing up too. It's like I was really into sports and I felt like that wasn't engaged with church. Um, But as I grew, as I've grown, I've seen God is the God of all things, including sports. Like, I think it was God's idea to create basketball. And you can fact check this, but I believe basketball was created by a believer as a ministry tool. Okay. We might have to look that up. I just (laughs) have heard that. Um. Anyways, I've come to see see that everything in sports really is influencing life, is teaching us life. And if you could take maybe your favorite lesson that you've learned from sports that you've seen in your life, what would that be and how have you seen it? Yeah, so um, I'm going to butcher the address, 
Um, but I think it's in Hebrews. I want to say it's chapter 12, verse 11, but it's about discipline. Um, again, I might get the numbers wrong, so don't quote me completely. But at the end of the day, it says no, no discipline is pleasant in the moment, but painful. Uh, but when done, it reaps a harvest of righteousness and gives peace to those that are trained by it. Um, as I'm older now, I remember my grandpa saying that to me, but I never listened to him when he said it earlier. And I could tell he was kind of planting his seed and allowing God to water it. And when I think about so many different times of my life athletically that I was disciplined, um, whether I knew it or not, maybe it was a lifestyle such as, you know, Friday night after a game, I'm not going out with my high school friends. Uh, in fact, when we went state, I decided to go to Taco Bell to buy 12, 12 tacos and I brought it home and celebrated it with my family, you know, and I mean, we just won the state championship and I'm sitting there at midnight, whatever the case is with a box of tacos from Taco Bell. Um, that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to celebrate with my family and we just kind of sat there kind of in peace, kind of like in awe. Um, there's no music, there was no drinks, nothing, just sitting there. And there's a ton of discipline that year that happened. Um, think about, I had an injury before that year and had a, had to be disciplined with my body. Um, I had to stay in shape. Um, I remember sweating through my cast, my elbow cast. I broke my elbow with my sophomore year. And, you know, I knew every time I worked out, my, my arm would be so itchy after <laughs> like just random little things. But, um, and I ended up having six more surgeries in college and mm. just having to stay disciplined. And to be honest, some of it was probably lack of discipline. Probably wasn't taking care of my body, especially my shoulder. My shoulder came out and I was like, you know what? I probably wasn't lifting as much as I should have been. Um, things like that. But running killers, you know, everyone says touch the line, right? But absolutely. Or else you're going to cheat it. Uh, my senior year, I don't, or my college career at, at in hoops, I never cheated anything. Um, coach was on me all the time. And I wanted to be the best basketball player for him to, if I were to be completely transparent and then for Bethel and to be honest, probably then for Christ. So my identity was still kind of off in those three steps, but, um, but I think discipline is just going to, I strongly believe in it. I believe it's like a foundation of our faith. Um, I think it's a foundation of health and peace just as, you know, uh, when you're done with the game, do you go check the box score? Why? Well, what's the point? Game's over, you know? So why, why are you comparing yourself to others? I think there's discipline in that. Um, we as coaches love to look at other scores, but what's the point? Like, at the end of the day, it matters how we do. And I think overall, those are some things that really matter. Um, and so when I really dive in deep in my faith walk and athletics and my career and just all my life experiences, I think there's a huge piece to understand with uh, really discipline is not pleasant in the moment. Getting, <laughs> I say, I was going to say getting whooped, but getting spanked and punished, disciplined in that way, it's not pleasant. But, you you know, if your parents are disciplining you, you learn real quick that those rules, I always thought that they were fun restrictions, but they're really protective guidelines. And there's mm -hmm. a reason why Christ has a law. There's a reason why he gives us wisdom and gives us pieces of advice and um, to discipline our flesh and to really die to our flesh at the end of the day. And it's, it's so we can live that life that we we truly want to live in our spirit. You know, we really want to have that great life. I would love to be a great dad, a great husband to have a great family. I want their lives to be great. Well, it's going to require some discipline on my end, starting now, starting nine months before my kid was born and I found out he was a kid, but even before that, right? Um, and so I think that's the biggest thing, especially as a male, is uh, don't wait like I did in some ways of waiting until your kid was born or until you found out that you guys were pregnant, right? Uh, the life choices that you make now, especially in discipline, truly give you benefits and peace in your future. Hmm.
Yeah, like you're always building who you're becoming. Uh, you can't just flip a switch like, oh, I'm going to get married now. So now I'm going to be this person. I mean, that can happen to an extent. But all the while you're building habits, you're building character, you're building who you are. Um, That's a good word. And the rule thing, I've said this analogy so many times, but imagine basketball without fouls, goaltending, out of bounds. Like, it just wouldn't be fun. It would be chaos. And the rules are in the game, so you can enjoy the game the most. And I think of God that way, like, God is not a restrictor. God's guidelines are to bring the most joy and fulfillment in life. Um and I even think the Garden of Eden, God said, don't eat from one tree, right? They had a whole forest. God's yes is bigger than his uh, restriction. That's good. That's good. So here you are from the Dear Young Athlete podcast. I need you in closing to complete that statement dear young athlete what do you want to say to your players what would you say to a younger bridge give it to us yeah i would say you know dear young athlete uh, it's never too late to do the right thing it's never too late to do the next right thing um and even if you are fighting between it, it's really important to understand and make the right decision and let your heart catch up later. It really will. God can make anything you do good, but at the end of the day, you will reap the benefits of being disciplined, uh, devoted, and really focusing on your future. I think overall, the best thing about life is when you can do it with Christ. Mm. Peace is something that you don't understand until you get a taste of it. And it is the most satisfying, um, uplifting, and foundational piece of our lives. If you can be at peace with nothing, um, you can easily not be at peace and have everything you want or think you want. And so don't be don't be afraid. Step out, do the next right thing, and let your heart catch up after. Fire. All right, Bridge. It has uh it's been an honor, a pleasure. Do you have any final words? for the people uh no i just really appreciate you having me on uh, this is great i really i really look forward to these um uh, being able to get to know you more and more has been awesome um and just yeah excited to keep living this life all right all right well thank you very much peace and there you have it one more episode in the books of the dear young athlete podcast thank you for listening Again, check out our website, our social media, rate and review us. Make sure you're following because we have some great episodes coming up that you won't want to miss. I'll see you in the next episode. Peace.